Well, there's, and everyone said, Amen. Okay, preacher, it's almost game time. It's almost game time, preacher. Get your game face on. Got a tough job ahead of you this morning. I know these people are hard to please sometimes. Sometimes they're a handful. Preacher, you got to deliver this morning. You got to do a good job, right? Because you got that's because so they'll come back. I mean, that's what we do here. You got to make them happy. Last week, I think some of them weren't happy. I think a lot of them didn't like my jokes, and a lot of them really didn't appreciate some things last week. And um, Lord, it didn't take long. And and uh, I, I know I can't please them all, but I, but Brenda, yeah, actually, she said I looked really good last week, so that's okay. All right, it's here. Now, get get focus. Get focus. Got to do good this morning. Got to please these people. Got to got to make them come back so they're happy. A lot of them, they probably won't come back because it's football season. We won't see them again until Christmas. But we got to shake that thought this morning. We got to do good this morning. We got to we got to we got to pick up my game. All right, preacher, let's do this. Got to have them like the message. Come on, Burke, you can do it. Make them like you. Not too serious because these people like funny, right? Remember the cat joke? That always works. Hey, you know cats aren't Christians? They always love that joke. All right, here we go. These people are hard to please, but you can do it. You can do it, preacher. You can please them all. You can do it. Just concentrate. Focus. Get ready. Come on, preacher. You got this. You can do it. Ready? All right, it's time to play ball. Here we go. Get ready. It's what you do. It's your job. Five, four, three, two. Ready, straight. Smile. Get ready. Here we go. Ah, good morning. Is my mic on? Good morning. What? We are in a series called You Can't Handle This. And we played a little intro video. I didn't quite have anything to intro with this morning. So I just went back for a little personal time and had a little pep talk with myself. I don't know how many of you do that. I'm glad you didn't hear it. But in the series this morning, and and I lost my clicker, so Brenda, I might rely on you just a little bit. Or unless someone could go in there and get it for me, that'd be great. I probably left it in there. But in the series, you can't handle this. We've come to a part in this series that you can't handle it. And we're talking about this life and the Christian walk and how there are things that the enemy will tell you that you flat out can't handle. So don't even try, right? You can't handle it, so why bother even trying? And what the enemy will do, thank you, what the enemy will do is he will preach to you half-truths. So things that you make you think, well, maybe maybe I, I can handle it. I, I don't know. Maybe I can't handle this, but... And, and the enemy comes down and, he, and he, gets, he gets you confused and he gets you worried and gets you... I, I can't handle this. And we'd be come obsessed with things that we think we can't handle. And for this week, a more practical series that we're having, right? More practical teaching series. You can't please everyone. And the enemy would come at you and say, you know what? Don't even try because you can't please everyone. 
And let me just say this, and if you're a note taker, you might want to write this stuff down. If you're not much of a note taker, you probably want to write this down. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget about what God thinks about you. Week two of our study, you can't handle this. Today we're going to deal with the truth that most of us know intellectually, right? But a few of us actually live out practically. And it's the truth that no matter how hard you try, you can't please everyone. I want to just say for the record, though, that the thoughts that, that I was giving myself, the prep talk and, 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 or the pep talk and those words, they, they don't actually go through my mind, right? Not week in and week out. Um, that was all made up, even the part about Brenda saying how good I did. But it, it's all, it was all just made up. I don't, I don't beat myself up. I don't do anything. I don't, I'm not back there saying, you got this in a mirror every week. Um, but I might start. It was pretty fun. But even though those thoughts aren't my common thoughts today, uh, sometimes they really do go through our minds, right? Like, you know, I'm a regular person. I live in reality with you all, and I'd like for people to like me, right? We all want people to like us, and the pressure we feel, real or imagined, you know, if I do a good job, then, then maybe some people will come back. And if I don't, maybe they won't. And, you know, there's been Sundays when I say, boy, I hope some people come. Last week was a little rough. I hope some people come back. But you all do, and it's good. I like, I, it's okay. But there's the temptation to surrender your life to the opinion of other people. And, and you're probably like me, and you, you know the truth that you can't please everyone. But it's weird how our spiritual enemy can, can come in and manipulate or massage that truth in such a way that it actually ends up affecting us and hurting us. So you might say, well, I can't please everyone, so I better work really hard to please as many people as I can. Or for you, it might be, you know, well, I can't please everyone. So there are just certain people that I need to focus on and devout, devote my entire life to pleasing them. Because if they're not happy, then I've failed. The truth is that you're not designed to please all the people. In fact, can you say it with me? Would you admit it this morning? Would you say that, say that you, I can't please everyone on the count of three, three, I can't please everyone. But I can please God. Say that with me. But I can please God. I want to talk today about about not living for the approval of people. But as we prayed, I want to talk about living for an audience of one. Our Heavenly Father. We'll start today uh, about the Apostle Paul. A story about the Apostle Paul as he went into a city called, a town if you will, called Galatia. To kind of straighten out a mess. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, so if you want to get over there. He goes into Galatia to straighten out a mess. What he realized is that people didn't know what it took to be right with God, right? These people were very confusing. They were arguing back and forth, and um, they were confused. Some people said, well, to be right with God, to be saved, you have to be circumcised. Others said that, no, no, you have to obey the whole law. Some said, no, you have to do both. And some said, well, no, you have to do neither. So there was this argument going on in 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 the church in Galatia. And so Paul came in to straighten out this mess. And what he was going to do was tell them the truth that the only way you are made right with God is through faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. So he came in with a very bold and controversial message to the church, to the Galatian church. 
And, and, and as soon as he started preaching it, he realized that there was this big group of people that were getting a little mad at him. They were starting to, starting to tap their foot and look at him a little sideways. And, and, and we watch him how, how, how overnight... His approval rating started to plummet, right? And it was, it was an election year. You know, they were voting on apostles. And he recognized, if I don't start to please everyone, well, I won't get voted back in here. I'm the Apostle Paul. So he changed his message for the one group and softened it for another group and then did whatever he could to, could to please everybody, right? That's the Apostle Paul, right? Some of you are saying no. Yeah, not. That is not what the Apostle Paul was about. That's not what he did. But isn't that what we do a lot of times? We try to please everyone. What he did was, he came in and he preached boldly. You must receive Jesus and Jesus alone. And there were a lot of people who didn't like his message. And that's why he made this very bold statement, which I absolutely love, in Galatians 1 and and verse 10. He said something, he said this. Something I hope will be true of all of us, actually. Obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. He said, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. (laughs) If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. He said, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. He said, no, who am I trying to please? He said, I'm trying to please God. Now watch this. If I were still trying to please people, he said, I would not be, say it with me, Christ's servant. I would not be Christ's servant. If I'm always trying to please the people, then it will take my eyes off of pleasing Christ. Let me put this on the screen so you'll get it. And I want you to get this this morning. Is that kind of too small? Oh, it's good. Becoming obsessed with what people think is the fastest way to forget about what God thinks. I can't please everyone. We just said that, right? I can't please everyone, but I can please God. Are you a people pleaser? Would you consider yourself, if you were to take some self-inventory this morning, are you a people pleaser? Are you driven by what people think? To help unpack it a little bit, I'll give you some some characteristics this morning of people pleasers. And then maybe you can kind of put yourself in one of these categories um, if you're taking notes. People pleasers tend to take criticism personally. I don't know about you all, and I won't, ra- I won't ask you to raise your hand without raising mine. This is a big one for me. I take criticism personally. I'm getting better because I've asked the Lord to help me with it. But there are many, many, many times when someone says a critical word that I take that to heart. Someone criticizes you and you're just devastated by it. You're like, oh man, that really hurts. And it's, it's been true of me for a long time. I am working on it. Pray for me. But you know, I could have, I could have a church full of people and, and I could have a hundred people and 99 of them could come up and say, hey pastor, good sermon this morning. Good sermon. But I could have one that would say, I'm not so sure about that sermon. I didn't really like that joke. Don't you know I'm a cat person? <laughs> but I didn't really like such and such or whatever. They could pick something and, and, and I could hear that one voice louder than the other 99 voices. I, I take criticism personally, a little bit too personally. Would you agree, if you're, if you're that kind of a people pleaser, would you agree by show of hands? I take criticism a little bit too personally. Well, good, thanks for your humility and your, and your transparency. Another characteristic of people pleasers is they feel an extraordinary fear of rejection, right? I, nobody likes to be rejected. Please don't reject me. Please like me. 
I'll do whatever it takes. Just how many would, you know, if you would think, just take personal inventory, would say, you know what? Yeah, I, I do. I, I don't like, I don't like rejection. Who likes rejection? No one does. Another characteristic of people pleasers, they find it hard to express their true feelings. Like, you know, I, I, I like to tell you what I think, but I'm afraid I might hurt your feelings. I, I, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I'm not going to actually come out and say what I'm thinking. So, you know what? I have a hard time expressing my true feelings because I don't want to offend you. I don't, I don't want to get you mad. I don't want to hurt your feelings. You know, how many of you would, would say that this morning? Just just say that this morning with me. You know what? I, I, I have a hard time expressing my true feelings. There's, there's actually probably more of you, but you're having a hard time. Maybe one last characteristic of a people pleaser would, would be the people that have a hard time saying no. People, hands going up, I didn't even ask you. Hard time saying no, right? We have a hard time. Um, if that's you, you know, you tend to overcommit. You're like me, you know, you can be very agreeable on the outside, but maybe you start to be a little resentful on the inside. That's what people have a hard time saying no. I'll do it. And then you're like, oh, I said I would do it. So I have to go do it. Pastor, can you come and help me do this? Ah, sure I can. Oh, I overcommitted, but I have to go. Harriet Breaker wrote a book called The Disease to Please. And uh, this phrase caught me, you know, the disease to please. And in it, she says that people pleasers are like addicts. They're addicted just as a drug addict would seek out drugs. People pleasers constantly seek approval. The disease to please, it's a very dangerous disease. And when we become obsessed with what people think about us, uh, it's the fastest way to forget about what God thinks about us. So what are we going to do? We're going to look at a couple big facts, two big facts about people pleasers. And I pray that the truth of God would, would set us aside from living for the applause of men. And instead, we would live for the applause of God. Fact number one, if you're taking notes, it's a very important one. And it's a little bit harsh and it's a little bit bold, but it is very important. People pleasing is a form of idolatry. Not adultery, idolatry. How many are, you know what idolatry is, right? Making up idols, worshiping something other than God, uh, putting something in front of God, making an idol out of that and worshiping that in a sense. It's a harsh statement, but people pleasing is a form of idolatry. God says what? You shall have no other gods before me, right? That's sort of in the top 10 if, you, if you're familiar. Uh, but when we surrender our lives to the opinion of people instead of the opinions of God, what we're doing is we are elevating people into the, into the position or the right spot where God belongs. In other words, you're saying, I care more about what you think than what God thinks. It's idolatry. In fact, I would consider people-pleasing more of a spiritual problem than a relational problem, in fact. It's idolatry. In fact, you see a great example in the New Testament uh, where there were some leaders. They were believers in Christ, but they wouldn't go public with their faith because, you know, you go public with your faith and you might be criticized. You know, your friends will say, man, you're just one of those holy role. You're one of those religious people. And so you keep it quiet. And here's the reason they didn't go public. If you go over to the book of John, it says this in verse 12 or chapter 12, verse 42 and 43. It says, but... Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. So these were believers. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. And then verse 43, because what did they love? 
for they loved human praise more than praise from God. They loved human praise more than praise from God. We 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 love the, our love for people to like us more than we do to live the way God wants us to live takes over. In fact, I was trying to get in my mind and, and thinking about, you know, when was maybe the first time in my life that I, I tried to live for for what someone else might think or be uh, maybe be um, consumed with what someone else or, or people might think of me. And I, I could only remember one story, um, one experience that I had in my life when um, I used to, does anybody snow ski? Anybody ever been down the slopes? couple people, right? I mean, maybe not now, but there was a time, right? Okay. A couple more hands. Um, but there was a time when I enjoyed snow skiing and a buddy of mine, my best friend growing up, best man at my wedding, we decided we were going to go snow skiing one weekend and, and we lived in Eastern Pennsylvania. So the Pocono mountains were, were close and we used to go over there and, and get our, and how many know it? it's, it's sort of a badge of courage when you get your lift ticket on your zipper, on your, on your parka, right? And how many see the people with like 45 lift tickets by the end of the season? We know you ski. We get it. Some of you skiers know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Look at me. I ski. Okay. You, okay. Well, you, you know how to get a lift ticket for sure. So we go, um, we head out and uh, we weren't, you know, we were just young kids. So we didn't have our own fancy equipment or anything. So we would rent skis, right? Rent skis and boots and poles and all that stuff, right? Ski rental. You go out and rent your skis. Well, we rented it from the local ski shop, put them in the car and headed out for the mountain. And when we got out there, um, you know, we were skiing all day. It was great. It was wonderful. Just skiing all the time. And there were warnings on my skis, right on the skis, not for professional use, like something like that. Like, don't go crazy with these skis. They're rental skis. They're just regular old skis. Don't, don't go crazy. So all day we're, we're on the on the on the mediocre, like the medium hill, right? So we're gonna take the lift up. Here we come down. We're having a good time. And um, believe it or not, as top heavy as I can be, I was okay on skis, and I could get going, and it was okay. Rented equipment though. We had no business going anywhere above the intermediate slopes. But you know that black diamond, double black diamond hill was calling my name. And there was my buddy. Come on, man. You could do that. Like, you skied all, all night. You, you're good. All right. You know what? I'm going to live for the, for the opinions of my friend. And I cared what he thought. I, mean, I didn't want to be I'm gonna, I got my lift tickets. I'm going to go up there. And I'm going to ski that double black diamond with my rented skis. Well, all right. So we're, and that's another whole lift, right? You get up to the one lift and you get off. You get up to the top where the double black diamond is. And it's like foggy up there. It's so high up. So we get all the way up there, and I mean, my, and my buddy's there with me, and he's going to try it too. And we get to the top, and he bails. He said, I'm going back down, man. I'm, I'm not doing that. I said, man, I, please. I swish over, you know. I shh. And I look down this mountain, and I mean mountain. Anybody know what a mogul is in skiing? It's like a little pile of snow, and you see them down there, and they do all this when they do it, right? These moguls were the size of Volkswagens, Frank. Volkswagens. And how many know that as the day progresses, right, it's warm during the day and then it gets really cold at night, it starts to freeze. And things get a little slick and icy. So here I am with my rented skis and my loud pants and my lift tickets. And I'm ready to go. My skis are literally hanging over the edge of this mountain. 
But my buddy's over here saying, come on, man, you got it. I'm like, oh, I got it. I don't got it. But I'm living for the approval, right? I, hey, I got a, he's, I'm on the spot. I'm living for this. Okay, here I go. And I start down this mountain. And let me tell you, I don't remember a single mogul. I just plowed right. I don't even know what happened. But I got three quarters of the way down this hill. And I caught a mogul and down I went. And these rental skis had a warning on them for a reason. They don't break away when they're supposed to break away. Oh! So I hit this mogul and I go down. And one of my skis goes all the way down the mountain. It felt it did break away and it went down. The other one did not go down the mountain and stayed attached to my foot. And it planted in the mogul and the ski went this way and I went that way and I tore my ACL into pop. I didn't know that, so I skied on it for another couple hours. I had no idea. And I drove home and with a with a knee about the size of a basketball. I don't know what happened. I don't know. But I wasn't about to quit skiing. My buddy's like, shake it off, right? Okay, approval of men. Shake it off. Yeah, you got it, man. I went in the lodge a little while and hit the slopes again. Uh, and then a rookie skier, a girl, was coming down the mountain and skied right into me. <laughs> Strike two. Strike three was when I got the speeding ticket on the way home. <laughs> like to say I've learned my lesson. But but I, was, I cared more. My point is I cared more about the opinions of my best friend than I did about doing the right thing. The right thing was heed the warnings on the skis. Don't go up there with your lift tickets and your rented skis. And don't ski down the Volkswagen moguls. But I cared more about the opinions of my best friend than I did about doing the right thing. And what happened is, and what happens now is, I fell into a trap. I fell into a trap that can consume your life if you're not careful. In fact, what, I, what I've done is I found some, some people-pleasing traps that in fact fall under... One verse that, that is in the scriptures, in Proverbs. How many love the book of Proverbs? I mean, it's just, I, I, it's been touching my heart lately. Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says this. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I really want you to see this verse and get the power of this verse. Scripture says, no, not fear of God, but fear of man. Fear of man will prove to be a what? Say it. Snare. All right. You guys are paying attention this morning. Will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Fear of men. Fear of what man might say. Fear of what man might think. Fear of what they're going to do. Fear of what people are going to say about me. Fear of what people are going to think. It proves to be a mokesh. A mokesh. A snare. Last week you got a little Greek lesson. Everybody remember the word? Scubula. Yeah. Well, this one is mokesh, the snare. It's a Hebrew word. It's translated snare or trap or a noose. It's actually like a noose or a trap that's used for animals to trap them. Or, or it's also translated as a barb. Um, this is what they would have actually, like a hook in the nose, like a snare, like a, like a trap. So literally, it was, like, it was like, a, like a hook in the nose, like this. 
I know it's gross, but I want you to get the point. It's like a hook in the nose. And I know you're going like, I never saw that side of you. But I don't really care what you think, because I'm not living for... Or maybe I'm doing this just to please you. (laughs) I'm really confused right now. But I've got my finger on my nose, and I'm talking to an audience of people. So what is this? What is this, though? What is this? It's, you know what? Hey, can you do this for me? Yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. It's a snare. It's a hook. It's a, it's a hook in the nose. Hey, can you come over here? Yeah, 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 sure. I'll help you out. People pleasers. Hey, um, hey, will you compromise your values for me? Yeah, yeah, all right. Hey, hey, uh, I want you to, to, to uh, I want you to just approve and, and think I'm cool, man. Can, we, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll compromise. You're being led around by a hook, a snare, fear of man, what man might think. Hey, you know what? Hey, do you think I'm funny? Do you think I'm cool? Do you think, are you accepting me? Oh man, I just, fear of man, what man might, I'm a people pleaser. Because I got this hook in my nose, I'm being dragged around. Hey man, uh, hey, do you like my new shirt? Do you think I'm funny? Do you think, uh, and and you're drug around because the fear of man will prove to be a snare. It's a hook in the nose. And I know it's gross. And it is as, 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 as disgusting as it may seem. It's a trap. It's a snare. And that, that trap or that snare can drag you around your entire life. Your entire life if you fear man and fear what he thinks rather than trusting in the Lord. Remember, the number one idea behind this series is that the enemy will get, will tell you things that are sort of half-truths in order that you doubt who you are in Christ. The enemy will try to lure you into these traps. Remember, you can't handle this. You can't please everyone. He'll try to lead you into these traps, and these couple traps. The first trap I'll call the compromise. I'll compromise for you, trap. I'll compromise. And, and, and a lot of people are led down this to this road, and there's such people pleasers they're they're not putting things of god first but they want to be accepted by their peers accepted by whoever they're in a relationship with at the time and i don't know how many bazillion times right you get, you see teenagers or even even older folks or whatever dating and, and you know maybe the pressure's on and the and the guy's putting the moves on and the girl thinks no 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 you know what i'm i'm saving myself because that's the right thing to do but the pressure is on. The people pleasing inside of her is, is on. And, and oftentimes, oh, I don't want him to let him down. I think he really loves me. And so they give in. Or maybe the girl's pressuring the guy even sometimes. And the guy's like, well, I don't want my, my buddies to talk about me. You know? So he gives in and they compromise. It's the compromise trap. I'll compromise for you. Maybe you're at work or at school and someone tells a really off-color joke. I mean, an off-color joke. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Really, like you have no business. It's just a disgusting, off-color joke. But you kind of laugh along with them because you don't want them to think, you know, oh man, there's the religious weirdo in the corner, right? So you compromise. And maybe it's the way you spend your money. Or maybe it's, maybe it's you know, you, you, maybe it's, oh man, my, I got I to gotta buy this stuff, man. I got to dress to impress. I got to have a house. That's, I, my kids got to go to the right schools. I got, and you compromise instead of what God would have you to do. Because we feel this pressure to live up to everyone else's expectations. The um, I'll compromise for you trap. Maybe you're not good doing so good at your job. 
And in order to get the deal done, you just kind of have to bend it a little bit. You have to, you have to bend the truth a little bit. Maybe you have to lie just a little bit to get the numbers where you need it to be so your boss will like you. And what you've done is you've compromised. Because of fear of man, as the scripture says, it will prove to be a snare. It's a trap. It's a trap. Any Star Wars fans in the house? It's a trap. It's a snare. It's a hook in the nose. And you just compromise because you care more about what others think than what God thinks. A second trap is the I will never commit for you trap. Or I will overcommit for you trap. I care so much about what you think that I'm going to do more than what I should. So you will think highly of me. Can you do this? Well, yeah, sign me up. How about this over here? Well, yeah. We'll do that. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that next week because I would argue that just the pressure that normal society puts on us to live up to everyone else's expectations of what good people do, the new normal has become crazy insane. How overcommitted, overstretched, under-resourced we are that people have very little time for God because we're overstretched and under-resourced. Much less their family because they're living to everyone else's expectations. It's got to be here, and it's got to be here, and you got to do what they expect so we don't let anybody down. The overcommit trap. There's a third one that I, I, I came up with, too. I call it the I will let you limit me trap. Some of you, you feel called by God. You feel a calling in your life to be uh, a, make a difference maker in your circle of friends or in your workplace or in your family. You have this... this this vision for to be more in your family, to lead well. Maybe you've got a vision for a ministry here at the church or, or externally. And the more you do and the higher God calls you to rise, the more people are not going to like you. And you will, you will, you will get limited by people bringing you back down. It's the crab in a bucket theory, right? The minute you start to make a stand for something and you're not like the, norm, the normal people anymore... It's like crabs in a bucket. We used to go crabbing when I was a kid. And we catch these crabs in these traps, and we put them all in a five-gallon bucket. And the minute one crab starts to make his way up out of that bucket, the other crabs, hey, they grab, get back down here. They pull them back down into the bucket. It's that once you start to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to live differently, especially in a family dynamic. You say, you know what, my family, you, you say, you know what, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm the first Christian in my family. And you start to live for Christ, and they start saying, no, 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 no. You think you're more than all this? No, you think you're better than us? No, 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 come on back down. Remember where you came from. Come on back down here. And they will, and you will then be in that trap of, yeah, you know what, you're right. Why would I even try that? You're right. Because I know who I am, and you all know where I came from. Why would I even try? And you're going to limit yourself. And the more you try, the more people will try and pull you back in. Living for the, for the applause or the pleasing of man. Remember, what is it? It's idolatry. It's surrendering and sacrificing the values of God, the call of God in our lives, for the opinion and approval of other people. So, okay, pastor, you've lined all that up. I get that. I see some things in my life. I get it. What's the answer? What's the answer? Many of us, I know, it's an ongoing challenge in your life. And the reality is, as a pastor, for sure, you know, I, I, I want to serve you. I, wanna, I, I, I want you to like me. I don't like hateful emails. No, neither do you. I don't like when people get excited and criticized, and neither do you. I want to be liked, and so do you. 
But the only way I can effectively do what God wants me to do is not live to please people, but instead live to please God. I will not live to please people. Remember, number one, pleasing, people pleasing is a form of idolatry. Number two, here's the answer. The fear of God is the best antidote for the fear of people. The fear of God, it's that simple. And this one statement can be life-changing. The fear of God is the best antidote for the fear of what people think. In fact, if you would say that you're at what? 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 Antidote spelled wrong? Oh, I don't care. Y'all are judging me. I don't care what you think, apparently. I don't live for your approval. The the fear of God is the best antidote for the fear of people. And here's the thing. If you say what, I'm kind of a people pleaser. Let me just say this lovingly, but boldly, and it's this. If If this is true of you, then people are too big in your life, and God is too small. People are too big in your life, and God is too small. The opinions of people are too big. You're giving it too much weight. The opinion of God has become way too small. Here's what scripture says in Psalms. Psalm 34, verse 9. It says, Let the Lord's people show him reverence, for those who honor him will have all they need. Let the Lord's people show the Lord what? Reverence. It's just the idea of a holy fear. Some of the translations you might have might say fear. It's an awe. Let the Lord's people see him, know him, and when they do, they'll show him reverence. For those who honor him will have all they need. When you reverence God, when God becomes big, when you honor God, when he's first, you won't need the approval of people because you'll have the approval of God and that's all you need. When you're tempted, for example, to compromise your values, instead, when God becomes so big to you, all of a sudden, the grip of people loosens itself on you, and you say, you know what? I want to live for God, and your opinion is not going to slow me down. If you want me to do something that I know is not from God, God is so big, God is so close, I won't let you deter me. I won't let the approval of man deter me. God's calling me to, to out on a step of faith. I will obey God even if you don't like it. (laughs) If my family looks a little bit different than your family, that's okay. Because God has called us to be about his business. We're going to be obedient to God. Why? Because he's so big in my life. He is first. I live for the audience of one. God's big to me. I want to live for him and not for the approval of people. And when you live for God, I promise you, you will be different. Because normal is rarely godly. Normal is rarely godly. God becomes so big, you say, you know what? I won't compromise. God becomes so big, you say, you know what? I won't overcommit. Because you're going to do life according to what God says and not what the world calls normal. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and worn out and burdened, and I will give you rest. little peek foreshadowing into next week. Few people, if you would agree with me this morning, have any sense of rest whatsoever. We think that stress is normal because we're being dragged around by these expectations. 
of everyone else. And one of our greatest sins could be that we are committing the sin of doing too much. I will not do what everyone else expects. I live for an audience of one. I will do what God tells me to do and God alone because God is so big in my life. God is so big that I will obey what he says and not let the opinions of others limit me. If he calls me to take a faith risk, even if everybody else disagrees, I'm not living for you. I'm living for Christ. If God calls me to lead my family in a different way, you say, you know what, God, it's, I'm trying to please God, not others. Even though others may criticize, I do what God calls me to do. The greatest antidote for, for the fear of what people think is the fear of God. It's getting close to God and living for him alone. And I don't know how to say this, but in order to be set free, and you need to be set free, there are so many things in your life that we would be dramatically different if you were not so concerned about what people think. Some of you, you might even have a different career today. You might have, you might be educating your children in a different way. You might be living in a different place. You might not conform. The Bible tells us we learn in Romans, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you won't live like they live. And you'll get questioned and you'll get made fun of and you'll get, well, what makes you think? You live for an audience of one. You live for an audience of one. Be set free this morning. You don't have to live like them. You don't have to dress like them. Be who God created you to be. And if you're consumed with what people think, that's the fastest way to forget what God thinks. Even in the church world today, even in the church world, this message is what, you know, we need to please people, right? No, 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 no. No, 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 not not in the church world especially. Don't live to please people. We please God. Seek Him. Surrender to Him. Know Him. Let Him become bigger and be set free from the opinions of people. It's the only way you're ever going to truly please God. And we don't earn anything from Him. God loves us. He's not going to love you more than more you do. That's not what I'm saying. But don't live your life in order to please people all the time. Live for an audience of one. Live for an audience of one. As we close this morning... Let me just tell you about that one. We live for that an audience of that one. Some fellas got together during Jesus' last days of his life when he walked this earth. His disciples got together. And despite what people would say, despite what the Pharisees would say, despite the judgment that would come upon them from their friends and family, uh, they put aside everything they ever knew and lived for Christ. They dedicated, you could say that about the disciples, they dedicated everything to him. And some of them, most of them, paid with their very lives. Those disciples knew what it meant to give up pleasing people, to give up the status quo, to give up normalcy, to give up what the world then would call normal and live for Christ. It's been a while since we've figured out how to safely (laughs) take the Lord's Supper. 
But let me share with you that the audience of one, this one, this one Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he gathered together with his disciples. And we're going to take communion in a few moments. If you don't have one of these, just raise your hand. or some people in the back that have them as the children make their way back in. You can figure it out, right? There's a wafer on top, the juice is in there, and then we'll just throw these out. We're not passing the plates. We're not sharing all these wonderful germs. We are passing. We're just going to have one of these. You can get ready. You can take the wafer out. You can get it all set up. But let me tell you the facts. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, and he said, one of you will betray me. One of you will live to please the people. And on that night, he said, there's something I want to get, there's a point that I want to get across to you, you, you disciples. The disciples were a little remedial, right? And I find comfort in that. I hope you do, some of you. We don't have to have all the answers, but Jesus said this. On the night that he was betrayed, I'm not going to be with you much longer. He said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me because... I'm going to suffer a horrible death. And this is what he was saying in so many words. And some of the disciples got it, and some of them didn't. That worked out. He said, I'm about to... They didn't know this, right? They were remedial. He said, I'm about to die for you. I'm about to give up my body on a cruel cross for the remission of your sins. I'm about to shed my blood, Jesus said, on a cruel cross. There's real pain, real suffering, real death that's going to occur. And I'm about to do that for you. And Jesus said, I want you to remember this moment when we sit here. Because in a few days, you're going to look at me on that cross and you're going to remember when we had this last meal together. And Jesus said in so many words, and this is the BLT, right? Jesus said in so many, not a bacon, lettuce, and tomato, Lisa. That's not what I'm talking about. It's the Burke Living Translation. But Jesus said in so many words, I want you to remember me by doing this in this meal, this time we're sharing together. Remember, a meal wasn't just some food back then. Uh, Meals were symbolic. When you shared a meal, shared a table with someone, those were your closest friend. Those were family. Those people that gathered together, those were family. That was your family. And so Jesus said, in a few days, my body will be broken for you. And I want you to take this bread and eat it. And he probably had literal bread. But I want you to take this bread and eat it in remembrance that my body was broken for you, for the remission of your sins, that you might be blameless when you stand before the judgment seat of Almighty God. He said, my body will be broken for you because I love you so much. He said, take and eat. This bread is the symbol of my body. So let's do that this morning together as a family and remember that Jesus' body was broken for you. And symbolically, you can almost hear Jesus dying for you. His body was broken. Take and eat in remembrance of him.
Be thankful, church. And he also said, you know what? My blood's going to be shed. For there is no remission of sins apart from the shedding of blood. Remember we talked earlier about the sacrifices that the people in the Old Testament would come and and lay the sacrifice and they would shed the blood of the sacrifice. Jesus was that once and for all final sacrifice for the remission of all man's sins. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer and I'm going, my blood will be shed for you. And I want you to remember this. He said, take and drink this drink this evening. And his disciples would remember him. In a few days, they would look up and see him. Take and drink Christ's blood that was shed for you. And be thankful. Would you stand this morning? It's a privilege to be able to share in the Lord's Supper with family. And as we have just taken communion, the Lord's Supper, one of the sacraments that we hold dear to here in the Church of the Nazarene, this being the one, baptism being the other. We don't take this lightly. It's not kitschy. It's not something just that we do. We don't do this because we want people around us to find that we're holy and we don't, we don't do this as a show. We do this for an audience of one. We say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your shed blood on the cross. And I needn't live for the approval of anybody else. I needn't try and seek out or earn any kind of salvation, but that, Lord, you paid the price. You sacrificed your very life. No one took it from Jesus. He actually laid his own life down for the remission of your sins, for you and for me. They didn't, they didn't drag him across the, that, that, that Via Dolorosa. They, he didn't drag him down that, that lane and, and nail him to a cross. Apart from, He didn't he struggle. He went as a lamb led to slaughter. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. Jesus voluntarily laid his life down for you. No one forced him to lay down on that cross and get those nails pierced in his hands and his feet and that crown of thorns. And no one, no one forced him. Be very clear on that. Jesus said, I lay my life down for you and for me. And it's his sacrifice alone where we find salvation. If you would bow your heads as we close this morning and end it.